Welcome to Next Steps, the midweek podcast from Blackhawk Church, where we dig further into the message from Sunday, explore how to apply it to our lives, and offer a practice that will help us engage in prayer and grow in relationship with God. I'm Chris Kopp, one of the pastors here, and with me is Tiffany Malloy. Well, hey, everybody. Hope you are doing well and staying healthy. It was so good to see some of you on Sunday at our outdoor worship and prayer event. Um, super fun to be able to, to, to see faces, even if we are disconnected um, physically. So um, we miss you. Love you guys. Um, I hope you're doing well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Tiffany and I know you guys don't listen to this every week just to hear Tiffany and I talk at length about these topics, which is why we try to um, bring in uh, interesting people like Charles and Daniel and the Pennings um, and today's guests who are excited to introduce you to. Um, but we've also heard people say that it's just nice to hear some familiar voices. Uh, so for what it's worth, you guys, thanks for listening and just letting us be a small part of your day each week. We really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, on Sunday, Lynn had a really powerful message about how even in the midst of death and suffering, Jesus is the one who brings about new life. And these things are, to be honest, can be really hard to talk about. But um, today we're going to have a conversation with a really special guest named Becky Allen, who is a part of our Blackhawk family. And I think that you are going to be really inspired by her walk with the Lord. I've only been chatting with her for a few minutes before this and um, just it, it's been inspiring already. So, um, Becky, thanks so much for being here, for being willing to share some of your story with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for asking. Uh, so, Becky, I, I didn't, I'm just making this up on the spot. I didn't tell you that we were going to be asking this question, but we like to start with kind of like a fun question. Um, so, it's fall, it's October. Um, are you more of a, a soup person or a chili person? Ooh, great question. Uh, I'm going to have to say chili. Classic right. chili, some cornbread. Yes. You can't go wrong yeah. with that. And beans in your chili or no beans? Uh, a little bit. Okay. <laughs> Can't right. get carried away. <laughs> I'm super weird. Like when I eat chili that has beans in it, you'll see me with like a, a pile, like six inches high of beans <laughs> stuck on the side because I just, I don't, I don't like it. And I great. also put noodles in it. So Noodles? Uh, like spaghetti noodles? Uh, not spaghetti, but okay. like, you know, little elbow noodles. Oh, or, I don't okay. know. Like Some people are like, that's not chili. That's goulash at that point. But um. I don't, I don't know the difference. Anyway, chili. <laughs> uh, good answer. Tiffany, what would you say? Um, I am definitely a chili person as well. I feel like football, oh, yeah. chili, mm. cheese and sour cream on top. So good. All right. It makes me want to go make some chili tonight. <laughs> well, we're we're all in good company here. We can proceed with with this. Sorry to all the soup lovers out there. Um, all right. Well, to start, Becky, uh, just feel free to tell us a little bit about yourself, um, how you got involved at Blackhawk, and maybe a little bit of your faith story and how you came to know the Lord. Sure, absolutely. So I grew up going to a small evangelical free church uh, in a suburb of Madison and grew up going to church with my family. Faith was in our everyday language, in our family culture. So it was always something that I was very familiar with and, you know, really became a Christ follower at a young age. And I remember a distinct moment in high school, I was at a conference and I really felt like I was faced with the decision of making my faith my own or having it sort of fall to the background and not being a prominent 
part of my life. And that conference really spoke to me about what a life following Jesus looks like. And I wanted that. And so in that moment, I really chose to pursue what was going to be a lifelong path for me. Mm-hmm. And once I went off to college in Madison, I found Blackhawk. I had a lot of friends that were going here and spoke so highly of it. And so I plugged in and got connected and just felt at home. I, I loved everything about it, the teaching, the worship, and then the community. And so I ended up staying here. And then uh, Darren, my late husband, he come came to church as well with me and we started our family here and I've got two kids. Dawson just turned 11, fifth grade, and Lainey is six years old in first grade. And so we all attend Blackhawk and are part of life group and involved in, it's been a constant rhythm in our life. Mm, that's awesome. Um, yeah, tell us a little bit more. So you, uh, went to school in Madison. Was that at the university of Wisconsin? At Edgewood. At Edgewood. Yep. Okay. Awesome. For graphic design. Graphic and so I did design. that for a while and then got into some wellness coaching and did that for a bit. And most recently have been doing my own podcast when the day productions yeah. podcast and have been trying some new channels and avenues of still coaching, but more broadly than just wellness coaching. Awesome. Yeah. So you go to college. Um, what what happens after that? You you met Darren long before that, mm-hmm. right? You guys yeah. like knew each other from like playground. elementary school or something. <laughs> yeah. So yep. so yeah. Tell us about um, about how you got to know him, and then kind of after college years. Absolutely. Yeah. So we grew up together. I remember him from a very young age, and we're sort of in the same friend group and got to be really close friends. Uh, in middle school, we dated, if you can call it that for like <laughs> a, a year or something. Um, and then we're just really great friends in high school. And then right before we went off to separate colleges, we ended up um, starting dating and that kind of led this process of us getting engaged. And, uh, we got married right after we graduated and, ended up living in Mount Horeb and that's where I've remained and kind of started our, our life together. We had Dawson fairly quickly after, uh, and then wanted to have another child to add to our family. And it was really difficult for us. And that was really probably one of the most significant moments that I remember being upset with God, like feeling that, like, why me, this doesn't make sense. Like, why would God choose this path for me. I just couldn't understand it. And so through trying to have another baby, I actually had an ectopic pregnancy that led to uh, a very rare and odd form of cancer and had to undergo some chemotherapy treatments myself. And that moment, I remember, again, being faced with a decision of how, what attitude am I going to choose in this? Mm -hmm. And I can be dark in a dark place, or I can be light in the dark place. And that's what I decided to do and to really choose an attitude that reflected, you know, what God was for me, which was light and darkness. And that was something that I wanted to continue to pursue. I know it's like faced with things in my life. Like I always, I want to make that decision, right. To like make the, the best of the situation to, um, to choose light in the midst of darkness. But Sometimes it's easier said than done. Were there things that um, are people in your life that really helped you to be able to to do that and to press into the Lord, um, even in the midst of a difficult season? Well, it's interesting, and I might actually give an opposite answer of what people might expect, but that's my default mode is Mm. silver lining and (laughs) eternal optimist and to a fault because I cannot address with things and sit with things that need to be 
attended to. And so all of a sudden I've built up resentment and frustration and then there's an eruption that soon follows that mm-hmm. I'm not very proud of, but it's easy for me to do that because I feel in control. I feel strong when I do that. And it's really the exact opposite of what I think is really called to do. So I've actually had people in my life that have been very loving and mindful to come and sit in things with me and know that that's how I'm wired and have encouraged me to like, it's okay to be mad. It's okay to say that this sucks because it really does. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to not understand and to not always be positive and happy. Like sometimes things are just difficult and we don't know why, but we have to sit in that and there's things to be learned and understood in that as well. Thanks for sharing that part of your story, because I think that that is something, um, that, that is, it's, it's, it's people's story. It's, I feel like, um, there's so many of us who just want to kind of skate along the surface of our life, because if we slow down, um, if we think too hard, it all feels really overwhelming. And so, um, so what are some of the things that those people who sat with you, as I think about, um, you know, as, as I'm sitting with people, as we're sitting with people, um, in our lives, what are some things that were helpful and things that weren't helpful as people um, walked with you through through some of that difficulty? That's such a great question. I mean, it sort of depended on what day it was. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but the first thing I think is just saying something. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't remember anything offensive that anyone said to me over the things I've gone through the last several years, but I do remember people showing up. And honestly, you know, you have your core group of people that you sort of depend on and and you expect to be there and, and they would, you would do the same for them. But then there's these fringe people that show up and you don't necessarily need them to infringe or, or step into your inner circle, but it's those people on the outside that don't have to do anything, that don't have to show up, that don't have to say something, but when they do, it means almost more. Mm. And so I would say it's so easy to sit in a situation and think, oh, they don't even know me Mm. or they have so many other people loving them. And, you know, I'm very well networked. And I think there was many moments where people thought, oh, she's totally covered. Mm. And I was at home alone and feeling lonely. Mm. And so you don't know what that person's feeling. And so even if you are on the outside saying something, even if it's like, I don't know what to say, mm-hmm. is is you see them in that. You want people to recognize like your life is hard. What you're dealing with is difficult. And I see that and I'm sorry. And mm-hmm. I'm aware of that. I mean, that just for someone to see you and that is h- huge. Mm-hmm. Um, one other thing too, I would say it's so common that we want to help people and we want to care and love on people that need help. But it's so easy to say, you know, let me know what I can do to help you. And you hear that so often and it becomes white noise. We don't Mm. even hear it. We totally turn, tune it out. And so what I had people start doing with me and I noticed it right away and it was so helpful. They wouldn't ask if they wanted help. They knew I needed it. And so they would ask what days I needed help or what times Mm. they needed help or, Hey, can I bring you chili or soup for dinner tonight? (laughs) (laughs) Instead of like, can I bring you dinner? Mm. They knew I needed that. And so they gave me the choice of, of that, or Mm. I'm going to come watch your kids is Wednesday night or Thursday night Mm. better. And that gave me permission to accept their help because they had already offered it. That, that was already taken care of. They were coming. (laughs) Yeah. They were going to bring you something. So exactly. And so that was helpful because I didn't have the brain space to even know what needs I had, let alone articulate them. So when people could do that for me, it was really helpful. 
Yeah. That's really just helpful. Just show up and just do it and, and not put it on that person to like, well, let me, you know, tell you and try to figure out what I need because it's, it's a hard enough season. Um, so, Becky, the last four years in particular have also um, been just quite the road for, for you and your family to navigate. Um, tell us a little bit more about that and kind of what life has, has looked like. Yeah, totally. So almost four years ago, this, this fall, uh, Darren was having some back pain and some odd symptoms and he was a personal trainer and he loved working out. So we had thought that he was lifting, uh, and throughout his back that had happened before. And so our regular regimen when that happens just wasn't quite working. And so over the holiday season, he was spent much of it on the couch and I was very frustrated, unfortunately with that. I didn't have a great attitude with him, but he, he just kept, the pain kept growing and we couldn't figure out what was going on. And so we finally were like, okay, so there's something up. You need to go into the doctor. Let's get this figured out. And so he went into the doctor uh, and the conclusion was it's probably your gallbladder. He had lost a hundred pounds earlier in life. And so typically that can be a factor of needing to have your gallbladder removed. So We'll do an ultrasound of that tomorrow and we'll schedule the surgery and, you know, be on your way. And so, okay, great. We got the problem solved. And the next day Darren went to the doctor and I stayed home with the kids and his appointment was taking so long. And I don't know that it ever occurred to me that that was a bad thing. I was just frustrated being home with the kids for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so finally he called and I was like, what? what is going on? And so he so somberly had said, um, they did an ultrasound and it's not my gallbladder. It's either Hodgkin's lymphoma or testicular cancer. And they're calling me back for more tests. Mm. And I just, I, it was slow motion, like life just stopped and I could hardly comprehend, you know, nobody ever thinks about getting that call or what it would be like. And it just felt like the world kind of closed in on, on me. And so, I had my neighbor come over until my mom could get there and went to be with him. And as soon as I got to the clinic, he was walking out. And by the time he got to the car, his phone rang and it was the doctor calling saying they had already read his ultrasound scans and that he was diagnosed with stage four testicular cancer. So then that started a series of tests and scans and treatment regimens and Testicular cancer typically is very treatable and has a kind of tried and true method. It's really, really aggressive, like one of the more aggressive treatment forms, but they don't want to mess with it because it's worked so well. So we started that treatment plan with high hopes and it took about three or four months and we had thought things had kind of cleared up. And when he went back for his six week checkup after the cancer had cleared up, it had come back with a vengeance and it mm. was just everywhere. Wow. And we were shocked, we were disheartened, we were confused and frustrated and started yet again in a really, really rigorous treatment plan. And every kind of treatment you could think, I feel like we tried and was thrown at us and we moved into alternative treatment when we felt like we had run out of options here and it was just too late. And about a year and a half after him going through all of the treatments and and this journey, um, he had passed away. For those of us that that didn't get a chance to meet Darren, what were some of your favorite things about him um, that, uh, that yeah that you could share with us about about who he was? Absolutely, I I um, 
he had so much energy, it was just out of control. And that's the one thing <laughs> I noticed once it was missing was how his energy set the tone for our family each day. He was always up early and we would come downstairs and he would greet us and he was music playing and he was so happy and was asking way too many questions. I'm not a morning person, so I was just <laughs> like, whoa, slow your roll. But I miss that. You know, that was such a, a great thing. And uh, he knew no stranger. He was friends with everybody. I always joked that he always thought he was in a parade when he was driving the car and waving and talking to everybody at the grocery store and stuff. But that just was who he was. He was, you know, lighthearted and happy and, and funny, really, really funny. And just really passionate about things that were important to him and really driven too. I, I, yeah, learned, learned a lot from him. As you guys walked through this together, um, how did it affect your faith? How did, mm. were there days when you felt like what in the world is going on? Are there days when you felt um, hopeful? Tell, tell us about, about how just the different, through the season, how it affected you both individually maybe and then together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. I feel like I felt all of the feelings. <laughs> I felt all of D, all of the above. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I said, Darren and I both are natural, like disposition is very like positive and optimistic. So it was very easy for us to kind of saddle up into that lane and like, we're good. Everything's totally fine. And, you know, I don't recall one moment that Darren ever complained. Wow. Mm. I mean, in, in the pain and the suffering that he experienced, that was beyond anything someone should ever bear. He never once complained. And now I'm not saying that that is necessarily a good thing. That's just what his wiring was. And so there were days that were difficult because I wished he would have been more vulnerable in that space with me to just say like, yeah, it does suck. And I see all that I'm doing and you're doing and, and how this has shifted things. But I also understood that he was just trying to walk out something mm-hmm. so much bigger mm-hmm. than him mm-hmm. and for other people too, because he was very open and vulnerable in the sense of communicative of his journey and what God was teaching him, especially mm-hmm. on social media. And so, you know, he would have these, I mean, his, his relationship with God in the last year of his life was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, God was so real to him. Mm-hmm. God and him were constantly in communication. And after, you know, prayer time and quiet time, Darren would be like, guess what I learned? Or, you know, guess like, it was just revelation after revelation that that he was having and it was really inspiring. But I mean, I was also, there's moments where I was jealous of that or I felt like I wish I could share that with you, you know, or he would share it with other people or I would see it online. And I felt like I wish that I could have been a space where he had come to, but I know that his platform was far bigger than his relationship with me. Mm. Um, But there were days when it felt like a, like a privilege, not a privilege, but to kind of carry and march this battle out. Mm. Like, like God chose us to walk through this or, or maybe didn't choose us, but he's not going to leave us in the middle of this. And so there's, there's a duty in that, that we felt called to, but there was lots of moments that were really difficult. And I can remember there being moments in that year and a half of praying like exhaustively Mm. just to the end of myself. And, and it was like every spare moment I had, I was praying and pleading and the energy and output of that was just at such a high level. Yeah. Wow. 
Well, there's definitely a, a connection, um, Becky, to your story and what Lynn was talking about on on Sunday with this story of Lazarus and how um, Jesus handled the death of his close friend. Uh, it's this powerful story because we see um, the humanity of Jesus in a really clear way. He just stops and he weeps and he grieves with his friends over the death of Lazarus. But he also points us to like the eternal hope that we have in him, hope for resurrection and hope for new life. Um, I know I've heard you speak to this elsewhere, and just earlier you were sharing a note that Darren had left um, kind of along these lines. But how has Jesus and his death and resurrection given you hope in the midst of losing Darren um, and just everything that your family has been through? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there there was three things that happened pretty close to the days following of Darren passing. The first one was, I remember having a conversation with Dawson and he was, I don't know, maybe eight at the time or seven. And I think we were driving in the car and it was quiet. And he, he goes, you know what, mommy, daddy didn't deserve to die, but he did deserve to go to heaven. And I just remember thinking that's about as simple as it gets, Mm -hmm. right? He didn't deserve to die, especially not in that way, but he, he chose Jesus to be his savior and to walk his life out with him. And so because of that, you know, he is in heaven now. Mm-hmm. And Darren was a note taker all the time. It kind of drove me crazy. There would be post-it <laughs> notes and scrap paper, everything all over the house. It was so unorganized, <laughs> but that was his method to his madness. And I remember being in the office the day of his services and I found this yellow legal pad and he had written on it, uh, when we've been given the gift of eternal life, what is there to fear? Mm. And that just shifted something in me where he's right. Like, mm. what is there to fear? You know, I, I came through my worst realization, my worst fear of losing my spouse and God saw me through. Mm. And not only did he see me through, but now my husband is relieved of pain and suffering and is in the gates of heaven, which is the end goal for all of us. I remember the first time I heard Chris in church say like the mortality rate is hovering right around a hundred percent. And I, I was like sort of shocked, but like, wow, he's totally right. So it, and that's true. Like that is where we're going and where we're headed. And so knowing Darren is in heaven, that is where we all want to ultimately be. He just got there a little earlier than we expected, a lot earlier, but he wouldn't come back if he was given the chance. Mm -hmm. Like if he was able to, he would say like, I love you guys a lot, but I'm so good here and I will wait until Mm -hmm. you're here. Mm -hmm. And that picture has left me with the way that I choose to live my life moving forward. I remember like the, it was about a year and a half of just really heavy heaviness over our house, over my heart, over my attitude, you know, and once Darren was no longer in pain and suffering anymore and and with Jesus, I remember feeling this joy sort of start to slowly build in me. And I don't know if how people respond to me saying that in the loss of a spouse. And I was just as surprised by it, but I was also so ready for it because it had been so long since I had felt joy. And I remember talking with a friend of mine and she just reminded me and gave me permission that even in a season where it is darkness and chaos and 
nothing makes sense. Like it is okay to still choose joy. Mm. And that is what I want to do. Like Darren is living his best life right now, like, (laughs) and and will for all time. And so why can't I try and create something here with my kids in this life that I've been given that can be in alignment with that as much as I can? I think that's a beautiful picture for us. Thanks for sharing that. as you, as we kind of wrap up, I was wondering, um, you know, there are people who are, um, they're feeling some dark days right now. Um, there's people um, in our congregation who um, have been going through some really hard things, whether that be related to COVID and unemployment, or actually it's totally not related to that. So can you give any last wisdom or encouragement that you, if they were here sitting next to you, what would you say to them? Me too, yeah. <laughs> first of all, and I'm sorry. And then I would also say something that is one of the biggest lessons Darren's left me with. And early on in his diagnosis, he was having some quiet time and Darren was a planner. He was very goal oriented, future oriented. And he came away from this quiet time and said, you know, I, I just feel like God spoke over me win the day and, and that I have to forego my own plans what I see in my future and I have to just win each day. And, and that is going to look different every mm-hmm. single day. So some days that is life is going great. You have a great mood. You slept great. You feel good, you know, but for some days for Darren, that was just like taking a shower and that was a win. That was winning the day. And other days it was walking around the block. I mean, it looked different, but you know, when you wake up in the morning and you assess what your needs are and how you feel or how you don't feel, I think that overwhelming feeling and presence and kind of doom feeling is when we think out too far. We don't know how long we're going to be in this season or what it's going to ask of us or what the finish line looks like. And so when we kick our perspective out that far, we drown in it. Mm -hmm. And so we've got to pull as best we can back that perspective to 24 hours. And maybe it's even six hours or one hour or five minutes, but just scaling it back to short bits of time and knowing that, God is going to take care of us. I remember after I got through this season of, of caring for Darren and him passing that it was tax season and we were self-employed. So we had to do our own taxes and I was freaking out. Like I was completely freaked out that I didn't know what I was doing and how awful this was going to be. And so I just started busting out laughing because I was like, like, God's going to see me through Mm -hmm. my spouse passing and this illness and now being a single parent, but he's going to like, just drop me on my taxes. Like (laughs) probably not going to (laughs) happen. Right. And so we've all been through hard things, all, every single one of us. And so I would say too, in with taking the perspective in closer, you know, what has God done for you before and how has he seen Mm -hmm. you through and and continue to build on that? You know, I'd had hard things in my past before losing Darren too. And God was faithful through that. And it didn't mean that I wasn't frustrated and that there weren't things I didn't understand, but I still saw God in it. And that is something you can build on from what, how we've seen God show up. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, kind of a paradox of being a Christ follower, right? Like there are times when certainly, and this has helped you of, we need an eternal perspective and that gives us hope about who Jesus ultimately is and our eternal destiny and all those kinds of things. So that's important. Um, But it's also important just to 
recognize that like God created this day, so I'm going to attack it and make them or win the day. We're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna do the best we can with mm-hmm. with what God has given us for um, these next four twenty four hours. So we're constantly kind of living in that tension of. Um, keeping eternity in mind, but also just trying to be present in, in, in what God has given us. I love that. Um, well, again, Becky, thanks so much for for being with us today. Um, I think Tiffany and I have experienced as sitting here with you, like you clearly have like this joy and, and zest for life, um, even in the midst of all the hard stuff you've been through. Um, so that's really inspiring. I, th- I think people listening are um, are picking up on that as well. Um, and I know so many people here at Blackhawk love you guys and, and love your family and, and are grateful for you. So thanks for pointing us toward um, Christ today and toward hope um, and the hope that we have in him. Uh, before we wrap up, can you just tell us where we can find more about Win the Day and, and what it is that you're doing with that? Yeah, absolutely. So when the day has been just a platform and it's a reminder for myself as much as it is anybody else. I feel like the message God lays on our heart sometimes is the one we need to hear repeatedly. So <laughs> walking through that has just been a reminder for me of just, you know, one day at a time and give yourself grace. And we don't have to know the bigger picture or plan because God's already taken care of that for us. And so through social media, uh, trying to remind people of that. And then also through um, when the day productions podcast, talking with different people and how they can shift their mindset to do small things each day and use their unique wirings to pursue, you know, part of what's been on their heart. So when the day production or when the day pro.com, there's a blog, podcast, social media, it's all connected there. Great. We'll go ahead and share that in our show notes as well. So people can easily find that. Well, thanks again, Becky, for being here. I I echo Chris. I'm so encouraged and I have actually a hundred more questions. And so um, (laughs) we just thank so much for sharing um, your story and providing hope and encouragement to all of us that are listening. Thanks for having me guys. Well, y'all for the second half of this episode, Chris is going to lead us through a reflection on the story of Lazarus that Lynn had preached on on Sunday. So I wanna encourage you um, carve out about 10 minutes or so to be able to focus in Make yourselves comfortable and let's dive in together. Before we begin, what follows is a retelling of the story of Lazarus that Lynn preached on this past Sunday and some of the events between Jesus' death and resurrection. So listen in and at the end, there will be an opportunity for reflection and prayer. Hey friends, allow me to introduce myself. My Hebrew name was Simon, but you you can call me Peter. It looks like you might be here for a while. Would you guys mind if I told you a story from the week that, well, it changed my life and changed the world forever? Yeah? All right, here we go. As would happen often throughout that week or so, the story begins with, death and heartbreak followed closely by life and unimaginable joy. See, about a week or so before the Passover, we were with Jesus somewhere outside of Judea when we got word that one of Jesus' closest friends, Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, had he'd become very ill. We urged him, we pleaded with him to go back and to tend to his friend, but For reasons I frankly didn't understand at the time, we waited two more days before heading back toward the town of Bethany to care for Lazarus. Somehow, 
Jesus knew that Lazarus had died before, before we even reached his home. But we continued on anyway. As we approached the city, Martha came out to meet us. When Mary found out that we had made it, she came to Jesus and fell at his feet. I still remember the pain in her voice as she cried out through tears, Lord, if you had been here, Lazarus would not have died. Jesus, seeing how distraught she was as she wept at his feet, was visibly shaken, distraught even, as he saw her pain and anguish. And then he asked, where have you laid him? It was then as they led us to the tomb where he was laid that Jesus did something I'll never forget. He wept. These weren't just casual tears like those from watching a Hallmark movie and it's not that Jesus was otherwise incapable of emotion during my time with him, far from it. But he cried in that moment in a way that I'd never seen a person cry before. Certainly out of deep love for Lazarus, but also as if in that moment, he was overwhelmed, even angered by death itself and the havoc it had brought upon those he loved. But as I'm sure you heard, because while everyone throughout Israel was talking about it in the days that followed, Jesus had the stone covering the tomb removed and he called out saying, Lazarus, come out. And there he was. Still bound in the linen strips he'd been wrapped in, Jesus brought Lazarus back to life. Little did we know, this series of events would repeat itself in an even more significant way some time later. About a week later, Soon after we shared the Passover meal together, Judas, one of the disciples, got up from the table, left the room, and led a brigade of soldiers to a garden where we were gathered to pray with Jesus. After a brief altercation, Jesus was abruptly taken away, and embarrassingly, the rest of us disciples deserted him and fled. Some time passed, and Thursday night eventually turned into Friday morning. We would find out later that Jesus was questioned that night by the authorities. Well, what started with questioning anyway. Refusing to listen to him, they eventually spit on him, insulted him, and beat him. A lot happened that night, much more than I have time to talk about right now. But by the time we saw him first thing the next morning, Friday morning, the religious leaders had apparently gotten their way and Jesus was led to an area that had been nicknamed the Place of the Skull, wearing a crown crudely pieced together from sharp thorns. And before long, he was nailed to a wooden cross between two criminals and left to die. It was all so unfair, so unjust. None of the accusations about him were true. This man had never sinned, never spoken an untrue word about God as they claimed and certainly wasn't deserving of death. The opposite was true. Here was the most loving, caring, merciful, humble man I'd ever met, and he was being treated like the worst possible kind of criminal. And he just took it. He didn't utter a word. He was silent before his accusers, even asking God the Father to forgive them, for they knew not 
what they were doing. Who does that? We waited in suspense a while longer while people continued to mock Jesus. And after some time of hanging on the cross around three o'clock on Friday afternoon, Jesus spoke out the words, it is finished. And that was it. He was dead. I couldn't believe it. It all happened so quickly. I should have known, I guess, that when he was nailed to the cross, that that was it. This is what he'd been speaking of for so long, but I think I refused to admit it. Almost as if I was still holding out hope that maybe God would intervene or Jesus would use some of his power as the Messiah to call in an army and come down from those wood planks. But he didn't. And the rescue that was playing out in my head never came to fruition. And it wasn't until he uttered the words, it is finished. And I saw his body go limp and his head droop forward that it finally sunk in. Our Messiah was dead. That next day, Saturday, was a blur. I don't really remember exactly what happened. I think I probably found a boat and rowed out into the sea a ways to fish and to process. It was all I could think of to do. But that was the longest Saturday of my entire life, or any of our lives. Everything was so uncertain, and I'd almost, almost given up hope. On Friday and Saturday, there was suffering and mourning and misery. But then came Sunday, and Jesus rose from the dead. As you process through what you just heard, where are you currently experiencing suffering, mourning, loss or hopelessness. I want to encourage you just to bring it to God in this moment. Do you think Jesus can relate to what you're going through? Knowing that Jesus mourns and grieves with you just as he did with the loved ones of Lazarus, pray that he might comfort you in this moment and to bring you new life.
John 11, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And in Revelation 21, verse 4, the scripture says that at the resurrection, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. I am making everything new. How do these verses encourage you today? How does it feel knowing there's a day ahead where all will be made new? Listen to these words from 2 Corinthians 1 as we close. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us today. As always, we would love to hear your feedback on this episode. So send us an email at podcast at blackhawkchurch.org and we would just love to hear from you. And then uh, you can join us for online worship next Sunday as Chris talks about Jesus as the one who reveals truth. And then we'll be back here next Wednesday to dig into that further. So y'all, we hope you have a great week and God bless.